And I'm Steve. So we are in a fairly new season of the church year and new podcast series. We've been talking about Advent and pop culture. So Steve, since you have been now recording 200 of these episodes, <laughs> since you've been here since the very beginning, what pop culture do you want to tell us about? Well, um, the, the bit of pop culture and Advent and church life and Bible stuff that I wanted to talk about, um, this is like all the circles of the Venn diagram are overlapping for me, the grand uh, alignment of the planets here, is one that my guess is not as uh, new to introduce folks to. It was so cool to hear about Followed by Frost last week and because I was unfamiliar with that author, that story. This week I wanted to explore a little bit about that classic Dr. Seuss book and then multiple adaptations, The Grinch Who Stole Christmas or How the Grinch Stole Christmas or whatever that... Or, just if you're Benedict Cumberbatch, the Grinch. Um, it's it's one of those stories that, like, at its at its core, a lot of people are familiar with, either because they had it read to them as kids in childhood when it was just the straight up Doctor Seuss book, or saw that classic animated short that was, uh, in my mind, like the definitive sign of Christmas as a kid was when that was on and you got to watch that and you got to hear Boris Karloff's voice and you got to hear the song "You're a Mean One, Mr. Grinch." But later generations have heard the Jim Carrey animate or uh, live action. He's sort of like a walking cartoon, but that was Ron Har- I think Ron Howard directed that movie. Um, and then uh, that was live action and then uh, in just the last year or two there's a computer animated CGI one with Benedict Cumberbatch as the voice of the Grinch and it's all computer animated so this is a story that won't go away um, and in some ways that's good because it's it's an important there, there's something good and redeeming and valuable about the story um, but one of the things that's been poking about poking in my head about this story is the way it's gotten adapted in different ways over different eras and what happens with each adaptation and what things get brought out in each adaptation. And it's made me think a lot, probably because of the church nerd in me, about like how in... um in our life as church, we've got multiple authoritative stories about the story of Jesus, and each of the gospel writers sort of does something different. And I guess I wanted to explore a little bit about how we deal with multiple tellings of the same story, and how sometimes if we get hung up on the differences, we can end up missing what the big point is, too. Um, but maybe just in case there's anybody listening uh, who is not familiar with the basic plot of the story, there's a little town called Whoville full of delightful, cheerful people who celebrate Christmas, and that's their big thing to get excited about all year long, and uh, far out on the outskirts up on Mount Newell, or is that a different book? That's uh, that, I think it's, that's that's Horton. There's a big mountain, and... Horton. Yeah, I think that's yeah, right. I think it's Mount Doom. No, I think that's where the Lord of the Rings... <laughs> there's, there's anyway a very cold mountain where the Grinch lives, and the Grinch is this sort of green, uh, I don't know, Muppet-looking character, but he's uh, mean-hearted, and his heart is two sizes too small, and he hates Christmas, and so his great 
plot to stop the people of Whoville from celebrating Christmas is to steal all the stuff that he assumes Christmas is caught up in. So he dresses up as Santa Claus, breaks into their houses in Whoville at night, and steals their Christmas trees and presents and tinsel and even their roast beasts and all that thing. And he thinks he's destroyed Christmas, only to discover in the end that Christmas can still happen. In fact, Christmas comes just as delightfully anyway. And in my recollection, this is where all the Who's gather around their bare town square and sing a song that Who's Dabu Dore is the recording, recording line. Uh, but they sing about Christmas coming even without any of the, the trappings and things like that. And so even though Seuss like recognizes uh, like th- there's not a, there's not a manger scene in this story. This isn't, but like there's a sense of whatever Christmas is, it it isn't reducible to the packaging or the 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 commercialism or trees or things like that. But the Christmas can happen with, without those things. So there's the basic plot. But um, the Jim Carrey movie from the I want to say 1990s um, was like had like several other plots added in, including romance between the Grinch and the mayor's yeah. wife, um, and uh, a number of other sort of family child coming of age kind of things. There's a lot of other stuff going on. And the the recent one with Benedict Cumberbatch is sort of they sort of stretched out what that story is about, right? Yeah. Um I, I think what what always fascinates me about the Grinch and other Christmas stories like Rudolph the Red Nosed Reindeer, Frosty the Snowman is they all kind of have this basic thing of what is the true meaning of Christmas? Mm-hmm. And as secular stories, their answer is always going to be a little bit different. Yep. Um, you know, as opposed to like the Christian answer which is well, Jesus Jesus is, Jesus <laughs> is the reason for the season. Um but like ultimately in all of these stories and movies the like you can't stop christmas from happening mm-hmm. whether mm-hmm. it's because you think that christ is is the true meaning of christmas or it's family or it's uh whatever it is you can't stop it from happening just because you steal the Christmas trees and the presents right. and the food and like that's not the reason for Christmas. Like that's not the point. What is really, really interesting to me, especially living through this particular Advent and Christmas season affected by a pandemic in several ways, um, is that it feels like we're wrestling again with like the mm-hmm. what you know can can Christmas still happen even though it won't be like what we expect. And it seems like, well, for as long as this story's been around, yeah, um here's a very here's a story very explicitly about Christmas still happens even when all the other stuff is taken away because maybe it didn't have to do with the trees or the decorations or even the presents or, you know, whatever. Um finding that conversation fascinating to have in the church as church yeah. people because like uh as i'm sure many of you are aware cases in the u.s are just skyrocketing right now so everything is kind of closing back down and like we're like all along in this pandemic we're not supposed to be singing in public because that's a huge spread of aerosols so the question suddenly becoming is christmas eve going to feel like christmas if we can't sing silent night right and to me, like, that raises a really important question that the Grinch is trying to get at from a slightly different mm-hmm. angle. But, like, what is it that we think Christmas is about? And if 
if Christmas requires this checklist of there needs to be a tree and there needs to be singing and there needs to be a roast beast and this, then yeah, you can destroy Christmas if you take those things away. But if that was not really what this is about, then Christmas can happen. There's just multiple ways that people have celebrated or recognized it all throughout history. Right. We can't stop Christ from being born 2,000 years ago because we don't sing Silent Night this year. Right, and to me, like, this is a really, really important difference between the, the, the Christian gospel and, say like the fairy tale thinking of uh, Tinkerbell and Peter Pan. Like, if you don't clap hard enough, Tinkerbell doesn't come back to life in the story. You know, if the audience doesn't clap hard enough, she stays dead. But um, that's not how Christmas works. It's, it, it is not, it's not even like in a lot of pop culture Christmas movies, like where if people don't believe hard enough, Santa can't fly his sleigh. I mean, like, there's, there's elf logic for you 101, right? Um, if, if not enough people believe or have Christmas spirit, Santa's sleigh doesn't have enough power to get off the ground and Christmas won't happen. There's a lot of storytelling in the wider culture that sort of says, yeah, it's up to us believing hard enough or singing or putting enough decorations or being jolly enough or whatever, and if we don't do it, Christmas doesn't happen. But the thing that has continued to be poking at me this year has been the the story that Dr. Seuss tells is, no, there are some things that will happen regardless of whether all the other trappings have been taken away, um, whether they do or don't happen like you expect, and Christmas still happens. The thing that really, really gets me, the irony that it really, I guess, has been glaring to me this year is um, a story that seems to be pretty clear in its point that the true meaning of Christmas can still happen regardless of whether you have the decorations or not. Uh, we now use the word Grinchy to talk about somebody who doesn't like Christmas decorations or doesn't want to, you know, like the person who is not all about putting up a million trees in a row. Don't be such a Grinch. Well, wait a second. The Grinch is the person who gets the true meaning or by the end learns, wait a second, you don't have to have those for Christmas really to happen. And I guess the, the, the other thing I've been thinking about in all this is, um, is it possible for us as, as Christians, who don't only focus on the birth story of Jesus, but like the whole life and teaching and death and resurrection of Jesus, um, is it possible, too, that sometimes um, we, we end up getting the message wrong, uh, or we end up like in the name of like the trappings of Jesus, um, end up missing the point of what Jesus has to say sometimes. And it seems to me like whether it's in the Christmas season or any time in the year, that's an ongoing challenge for the followers of Jesus, that we sometimes get so fussy about we need to have the trappings or the symbols or the uh, the, the things that look churchy, and yet still to miss like what Jesus is actually about. That it's possible for us to do that with the Grinch story, and it's certainly possible for us to do it with the 2,000-year-old story of a crucified rabbi. Will you let me indulge one more bit of my church nerdiness and all this here, too? So, like, I've been thinking about, like, how, for me, my go-to uh, uh, mental picture of this story is the animated, hand-drawn, animated, you know, voiced by Bar- Boris Karlov uh, version of this story, knowing that there was a, a book version that came first. Um, and my kids, when they think of the Grinch, they immediately think of the, either the Jim Carrey version or the computer animated one. And the, the version you're first introduced to, we have this way of assuming that's the right version and the other ones are wrong when like, that's not exactly. And again, you're left with a, is it just whichever came first is the right one? That's not exactly true either. Each version has things to say. Um, and I guess the other thing that is interesting to me is in, um, Dr. Seuss's original intent, if we want to talk about it that way, like he just made this simple little fable that is just a children's book length sort of fairy tale kind of a story. But the Ron Howard has like taken this into a full length movie that includes romantic subplots, including why in childhood the Grinch became such a Grinchy guy. You know, so it imagines an origin story for the Grinch. 
What's interesting to me is, I don't think we have to pick and choose there's only one authoritative version of the Grinch story, but that we've got something kind of weirdly similar in the Gospels themselves, Mm -hmm. in that, like, what scholars think is the earliest of the Gospels is Mark's, that gives us no origin story. There's no Christmas at all in Mark's Gospel. There's Jesus appears on the scene as a grown man in the desert by John the Baptist, and that's the introduction we get of Jesus. Um, and Mark is just, like, off to the races quick with the plot, you know, like, here's live-action Jesus as an adult doing this, doing this, doing this, doing this. Um, and the other gospel writers sort of enter the story a little bit differently, and some do an origin story of Jesus. Matthew does his version that goes, uh, the story of Joseph, and there's the Magi and the, the flight to Egypt where they escape as refugees to flee from Herod, and Luke does the version that most of us know from Christmas pageants um, with mangers and shepherds and angels and things like that. And somehow we've all learned to be okay with these are all different storytellings and they each are trying to do something um, and that it's okay. They probably all have their sources of where, where they got these stories from. John, as a gospel writer, like, says, like, even, even backing up to Jesus' birth isn't early. If, let me go back to the beginning of the universe <laughs> and start with in the beginning God created. Um, but that in a way, um, each of those voices does something different, and maybe we need all of those together. Certainly as, as, a, as a Christian theologian, teacher, pastor, whatever, it seems like it's important that we've got all those various angles and ways of telling the story. Um, but the same way that I don't stop my kids and say, no, you're only allowed to watch one version of The Grinch, the true version. Like, no, you know, take what you're going to get from each of these. Like, that some, sometimes there may be value in... in having that same attitude with the multiplicity of voices in the scriptures, too. I was even thinking about the um, the, the way in in my mind, like, the Grinch story isn't the Grinch story without that song, You're a Mean One, Mr. Grinch, but that's not in the original, original story. That's a later song that was written for the animated cartoon version. The original doesn't have a, because it's a book, right? And so, like, some of the things, even when we think about, like, well, what's at the heart of who Jesus is? And we'll, well, some might say, well, it's teachings like the Sermon on the Mount. Okay, good, but that's not in Mark, who might have been the earliest. So there's, it's interesting how we've got a bunch of different sources that give us this picture of who Jesus is, and maybe we need all of them, and it's not just well, whichever was the earliest is the right one, because there's a lot of things we wouldn't have if all we had was Mark's gospel, um, and yet somehow we need all those two together. I, I guess I, I think having this conversation and thinking about it in the Grinch makes it safe for us to, to explore that this is happening in our Bibles all the time. We sometimes just don't recognize that that's what we've got. So I think this begs the question... What is everybody's favorite Grinch story? Do, do I think you, mine is Benedict Cumberbatch. Interesting. Okay. What do you like about that version of it? I like that it fleshes out some of the other characters. Okay. Like, well, it also invents new characters. Like, uh, the Grinch suddenly has a neighbor who just wants to be friends and keeps inviting the Grinch to, like, come and hang out. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, I think that's a really good dynamic that there are people that has been trying to reach out to the Grinch He's just not recognizing Hmm. it and just seeing it as an annoyance instead of that, like, hey, we're part of the same community. Come be friends. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Do you have a favorite version? So, it's it's a rather unpopular version. (laughs) (laughs) At least amongst most of my This is a safe space to say whatever you need to say, Erica. (laughs) But I like Jim Carrey. Um, Not because of Jim Carrey. I, I think I like it sort of for the, like you said, sort of the character development Especially of Cindy Lou Who, and like kind of, you know, yes, the Grinch figures out eventually that mm-hmm. Christmas isn't about the gifts and the trees and the t- you know, and mm-hmm. all the stuff. 
But like Cindy, as as a young child, is realizing this. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, she's seeing everybody get all excited about and, and you know maxing out credit cards and all this stuff. I just watched it recently, so I know. The details. You know, and then she's like, "But is is this all? Is mm-hmm. this all that there is?" And of course, it has that uh, "Where are your Christmas song?" So sure, sure, sure. Um, I really like. I, I do like that about the Jim Carrey version is that everybody is going through this journey of figuring out what Christmas is truly about. Mm-hmm. Like it's not just the Grinch. Yeah, yeah. Like a whole town eventually, you know. Yeah. And I mean that's true in the book and in the in the original too. Yeah. But like. They just make it more obvious, I guess. Yeah. Like yeah. they focus on it more. And I think I think that's an important maybe counterpoint too that like, uh, it is possible to be so overwhelmed with all the to, to think you're being Christmassy when really you're just caught up in the commercialism of it yeah. or the, the 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 bustle of it or whatever that you also miss the point that that uh, a movie length version allows you to say it's not just that the Grinch has to learn a lesson everybody else in Whoville may have to learn mm-hmm. a lesson as well and that sometimes it's not until everything else gets stripped away and you discover oh it still happened that we all learn oh it was never really about all the things that we thought it was about yeah. um, I, I guess one of the things that I'm um wrestling with in uh okay practically when once once the storybook is over the movie is done and the 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 book is closed like um how how does that shape the way we approach this year and the celebration or recognition of this this day or this this moment in our in our church's life and to try and be as graceful in every direction as possible. You know, like we, we were talking about a minute ago, dealing with a pandemic that places some very real boundaries on what kinds of things can happen. And on the other hand, how we deal with, yeah, it's difficult for everybody to deal with any kind of change. It's difficult for anybody to deal with. It won't be like I usually pic- pictured it being. Um, and it is possible to be liturgically correct about a decision and still be a jerk about it in ways that like that doesn't help anybody and on the other hand it is possible to try and be so accommodating nice that you've now lost um whatever the important principle of you know public safety is or something like if, if that's what we're dealing with how 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 are you each of you approaching in your ministry life how do we how do we how do we celebrate or or get ourselves focused on what christmas really is about especially as people who if there's a place you can be clear that it's jesus like that's Church, church on Christmas Eve is a great place for Christians to be able to say it wasn't even all about family or togetherness. It was about Jesus. And how how how, how this year maybe are we given a, an unexpected gift in having those other things stripped away? Maybe I don't know. So as we approach as we, as we enter Advent, as we approach Christmas, I, I keep thinking back to Easter when here in Pennsylvania everything shut down yeah. to begin with. Like mm-hmm. everything was shut down. Now we're like. It's church by church, it's, you know, school by school, it's county by county, like, people were making their own decisions, but the governor just shut us down completely for mm-hmm. Easter. And I remember telling my folks, like, this is going to be our most realistic Easter compared to the first Easter mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. that any of us have ever had. Mm-hmm. Because, like, there was so much confusion and chaos and, and un- so many unknowns. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I think that's going to be the same thing with Christmas. Mm-hmm. You know, honestly, the church for the first how many hundred of years did not celebrate Christmas. Yeah, e- easily the first 300. Yeah. You know, like, it was not, not that Jesus' birth is an important part of our Christian theology and, and the understanding, you know, that Mary you know, was a virgin and all that. We say that in the creeds, but, like, for 300 years, the church didn't celebrate Christmas. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And even when we did start celebrating Christmas, it was, you know, we celebrated Epiphany all right. along. Right, and And so I think... Maybe stripping back some of the things that we would normally do. Mm-hmm. Not mm-hmm. having maybe 
you know, our Advent Bible studies or, or gatherings and things, you know, and, and, and just not having like, you know, the Black Friday sales and all that <laughs> stuff, you know, after Thanksgiving, but like realizing Christmas isn't about the material things. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and we're kind of forced into that this year. And that maybe it's not even about the tradition that exists just for the sake of tradition. You know, I, I get it. Yeah. Tradition yeah. is comforting. I mean, the, the same with material possessions aren't bad either. Sometimes, like, you know, like our anti-commercialism stance can come off sounding like physical possessions or having new clothes is bad. No, it's just like, don't pretend that that's what Christmas is really about. Yeah. But, yeah, is it nice to occasionally get a new sweater and socks? Yeah, that's great. Same thing about, you know, it's lovely to have traditions. But let's be clear, that's not, Jesus Jesus saving the world does not hinge on mm-hmm. us, you know, doing the traditional things we've always done. Because even our sense of what we've always done has a pretty short shelf life to it. That you know, like Christmas as a big cultural phenomenon, at least as we experience it, maybe has been around for 150 years. Like yeah. that's a, it's not even going back to, you know, 1700 years. That's yeah, maybe a century and a half, you know, like, so Charles Dickens era. Yep. A lot mm-hmm. of that, a lot of, and it's interesting how a lot of the things that we picture as traditional Christmassy are really just traditional Victorian Englandy <laughs> in yeah. wintertime, you know, so chimney sweeps, there's nothing particularly Christmassy about them, but man, everybody's little village has a chimney, you know, like, okay, that's fine, but let's be clear then, that's not so much about the birth of Christ and more about, I like the quaintness of this era in history, mm-hmm. and that's fine, but Christmas can happen without those things. I think rather selfishly, the thing I'm looking forward to the, this year the most is I'm going to be able to have a Christmas at home. Hmm. That, you know, this is the first time since being in professional ministry that both my husband and I, we already know, because uh, my husband's also a pastor, uh, we already know that both all of our congregations have decided to be online only for Christmas Eve. Um, because so many of our, our people, our community, like singing Silent Night is so important. Mm-hmm. And so we can do that safely at mm-hmm. home in ways that we cannot at church. And you know, if you're going to play Silent Night on the organ, <laughs> somebody is going to sing it. Mm-hmm. Um, so this way we can do that safely. So we already know that we're pre-recording these services and they can go up on Christmas Eve without us actually physically being at church. Mm-hmm. And so for the first time since being in ministry, we get to have a Christmas at home mm-hmm. um, where, you know, we get to be the ones to put our kids to bed. Um, we can wake up on Christmas Day and not be rushing out the door to go to a church service Christmas morning. Mm-hmm. But that we get to kind of have those Christmas, like kind of like a Christmas like we had growing up, um, you know, other than we aren't going to Christmas Eve service, but like it's more similar to that and it's and it's striking to me that for for my husband and i it's like oh we get to have like a christmas like when we were kids Mm. but for our kids this is going to be a weird christmas Mm because we are home Mm -hmm. and they're not used to that for christmas Mm -hmm. and i think that you know if we think back to the original christmas you know, it's Joseph, Mary, and the, and the baby Jesus. Yeah, shepherds come and, along. And eventually and, shepherds intruding when nobody... <laughs> you know, but, like, it's the nuclear family. And I think that's what we're going to see a lot of this year, too. I mean, I, I know, like, a lot of us tend to go... And we celebrate with family, but it's usually extended family. Because, yeah. you know, we're, we're traveling to go see... Like, I'll go see my parents who are two counties over. Or, you know, growing up, we used to... When my grandparents were so alive, we always went to one of their homes for Christmas or whatever. But I, I think not only are we going to 
be able to scale back on some of the materialistic things at Christmas this year. I think we're actually going to get back to that nuclear family, hmm. what it means like to celebrate Christmas within the household. Hmm. Um, which I think is going to be a, a really neat thing to treasure. Because I know we're all hoping and praying that by the time Christmas rolls around next year, we're not dealing with the pandemic anymore. Mm -hmm. We have a vaccine. We have mm -hmm. you know, we have some sort of control over this, so we don't have to do this two years in a row. But in any living memory, you know, how many of us have had just truly, mm -hmm. unless you're just a small family, where you just stayed at home all day mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and only spent time with your immediate family. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, to me, this this also, I guess, I guess for me, like the idea of being able to tell a story like the birth of Jesus in the midst of so much else that feels uncertain and feels up in the air, feels mm -hmm. very, very authentic. Like, like mm -hmm. when, when not only when Jesus was born, but for the first several generations and maybe several centuries, like it was a dangerous thing for Christians to gather in, tell whatever stories about Jesus. And there's an awful lot of turmoil all around. Um, and that Christians, I guess, had to live with, like they were creating their own traditions, but like there wasn't, the empire wasn't like endorsing, you know, th th so there, there wasn't this assumption that if you walked down the street, other people would recognize what story you were living or, you know, like the, 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 it was just sort of a, we, we live by this alternative story and it sustains us even when everything else feels so up in the air, everything else feels so chaotic. Um, in a lot of ways, to me, that feels like we have the possibility of, sort of like you said about Easter time this year, Erica, with it, something very, very authentic um, that maybe grounds us and forces us to see what what holds even if everything else does get stripped away. That Can Christmas still happen without singing? Yeah, it, it will feel very different. And to name that, but the first the first Christmas, nobody, nobody but angels are singing. <laughs> you know, like, um, and, and like, that the, 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 the I don't know, like the, the the birth of Jesus itself, even in the in the fullest, you know, Luke two retelling of it, um, has this sort of haphazard we're figuring this out as we go kind of feel mm -hmm. that maybe maybe our our way that we assume is traditional of we know how the story is gonna end, we've predicted and scripted and this will happen, then this will happen, then this will happen. Maybe that's the weirdest thing of all, that like maybe it should feel thrown together in haphazard and chaotic because that's a lot closer to, <laughs> to what was happening on that day. So I, I, I appreciate all of you indulging my several levels of church nerdiness in exploring the Grinch story as a way of looking at how we live through uh, Christmas in a pandemic. Um, and I guess I, I hope that for each of us in our further conversations in this series, that that may be a piece we can we can keep thinking through. What, what, it, what does it mean to engage with any kind of stories uh, that help us focus on what Christmas is about, especially in a year like this year when we're forced, we can't be on autopilot and say, just do whatever we did last year. Um, but also maybe that that's a gift. And instead of being just mad, how come it can't be the way I want it to be? Maybe discovering like this, is, it's some, it's somehow good to be reminded that uh, it's not, it wasn't in all those other trappings. And I guess I think like that's at the end of the Grinch story, nobody would say, wouldn't it be better if we could just go back to the way the the ignorance we all lived in before the Grinch took all this away from us? They'd, no, it was good to learn that it wasn't really about all this. And everybody all around, yeah, we needed that reminder. And then we can continue on with our celebrations in a new way. Maybe we need that in this moment too. Well, thanks for indulging me, everybody. And join us for more conversations at the intersection of church nerdiness and pop culture awareness and Bible stuff too here on Crazy Faith Talk. See y'all.